Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who are the UFO silencers? Have men in black ever carried out their threats? What do we really know about them, and where do they really come from? Well, you're going to need to give me the script, because we didn't think of having an extra copy, mostly Guess who's back? Yes, I am back, Ben here, for the 463rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben. You know, I'm Ben, and this is the last Monday where I was supposed to not be here, but here I am, because, you know... Everything happens for a reason. All right. Yeah. This particular reason is uh, Professor Cancel Class. But anyway, uh, before we introduce our guest, I want to wish a very happy Canada Day to our Canadian listeners. And um, have a happy Canada Day. Our guest this evening is one of the greatest names in the paranormal, the legendary TGB, Timothy Green Beckley. He's a UFO and para- paranormal pioneer, author and publisher, producer. And uh, Tim says that his life has pretty much been revolved around the paranormal since childhood. He reports having his first out-of-the-body experience at the age of six and saw his first three UFOs at the age of ten. In the early 1970s, he founded the UFO Investigators League and over the years has written over 30 books on everything from rock music to the secret majestic 12 UFO papers. Today, he is the president of Inner Light Global Communications and editor of the conspiracy journal and Bizarre Bizarre. You all have to see that written down. He is the author of uh, Mystery of the Men in Black, which is our concern this evening, with an intro by the late, great John Keel. And Tim also was a friend, our local listeners will be interested in hearing, of our good, uh, of our good friend and uh, m- much uh, missed Joe Ferrier, who was a, a DJ, well, not a DJ, but a show host on this show, the talk show, afternoon talk show, for over 50 years. And Tim himself was a guest of Joe's in the early 1970s, I believe, and uh, I'm sure maybe we can uh, have some time to share some memories about uh, our good old friend Joe Ferrier, who was a very well-known UFO investigator uh, on his own right in the late 1960s, uh, in the early and late 1960s and and onward. So anyway, uh, Tim's websites include conspiracyjournal.com and teslasecretlab.com. So, all right, so Tim Beckley, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, you know, this is a uh, this is a show that's uh, a long time coming, and I'm I'm so happy to be on the air. You know, yes, I was at actually in your studio. Wow! Uh, back it would have been in the 1960s. Yeah, it would have been <laughs> in the 1960s, and and Joe was the uh, the host. And uh, in fact, there is a photograph of Joe and I uh, around the microphone that uh, was printed uh, in a newspaper called a tabloid. Uh, called Midnight, which is now the Globe. It changed its name uh, over the years, and you could see that I'm a, a wee adolescent at that <laughs> at that <laughs> point. I, I don't know. I must have been maybe all of uh, 19 years old, if even that. Uh, you know, in those days, we actually did live shows. There was hardly any telephoning. If you wanted to be on the air, you went to the studio, and, and I had a nice trip and a, and a very uh, enjoyable show. And uh, you know, Joe used to publish his own little uh, UFO. Um, uh, publication, I think it was called Unexplained Phenomena, with a fellow from the same area there by the name of Armand Laprod. And so we used to exchange magazines uh, when I was a teenager, and um, uh, it was an enjoyable experience, and I'm glad to be back on the air with you fellows. Well, we're and, really uh, proud to have you, Tim, uh, not only for your, own, uh, for, for your own sake, but for, for Joe's as well. And let me give our phone numbers uh, to call in this evening for everybody, if anybody would like to do so, especially to maybe share memories about Joe. Um, 
locally, of course, 401-766-1240. Right, Ben took it up. And the uh, number for USA or Canada, anywhere in, they're in, I should say, 800-449-1240. So give us a call if you'd like. So, uh, Ben, take it away. Alrighty, so let's uh, kick it right off with the questions here. So what are the men in black, and when did they first appear in history? Well, you know, there is a certain side of ufology that we uh, seldom uh, hear about. I call it the dark side of ufology, and the men in black are part of that. Now, when we say men in black, we're talking about probably several different groups. There's really no way to to, to pinpoint this, uh, pinpoint this, but there are some that are obviously uh, government agents. Uh, they dress and they look like uh, Secret Service and OSI and uh, Air Force Intelligence, and they probably are. Uh, they go around uh, subtly threatening UFO witnesses to uh, to give up their data or to remain silent. Then there's uh, another what I would consider to be uh, more paranormal uh, aspect uh, to this. You know, um, a lot of uh, researchers in UFO and ufology are running around uh, looking for spaceships uh, from, uh, you know, beyond the solar system. I, would, I was going to say beyond Mars, but uh, uh, most of us would probably realize that unless there's some uh, gang of uh, three living underground on Pluto or something, uh, more than likely, uh, we have to look outside of our own solar system for any sort of intelligence. <clears throat> These are not common astronauts that are coming uh, here. They're, this is a more of, a, as far as I'm concerned, a more psychic-based phenomena, something that has been uh, with us uh, from the beginning of uh, time. Perhaps it's even a, a secret uh, civilization that coexists with us here uh, on the planet, maybe living uh, inside the Earth or uh, maybe living uh, under sea. Uh, in fact, you know, a lot of UFOs are associated with uh, sightings around naval vessels and uh, objects coming in and out of the water and, and so forth. So, Yeah, I've been there. Uh, this is, yeah, so... Uh, oh, uh, by the way, before I forget, uh, Larry uh, Warren and uh, Peter Robbins say hello. I just had a meeting with them. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, yeah, North. very yeah, dear yeah, friends, yeah. yeah. Larry, Larry was wonderful when we visited Rendlesham Forest in September. Oh, yes, uh, that, indeed he said that, yes. He was here with his son and his uh, father-in-law. Outstanding. Uh, anyway, to get back to the, the subject uh, at hand, <laughs> the, other, the other group, of the, this paranormal group, uh, they're a, a little bit more ragtag. In fact, people say, well, what do the men, the men in black look like? Well, of course, you know, the, the real men in black uh, usually wear black hats, they wear sunglasses, uh, they appear in uh, researchers' homes without entering through the front door or without permission, perhaps. Uh, they come they come and go at their own They're choosing. They materialize and dematerialize. They are supernatural uh, entities of some sort, uh, shapeshifters, uh, perhaps. Uh, the best example of this I can give is, uh, is if you watch the movie The Blues Brothers. Hmm. Well... Uh, ironically enough, you know, kind of a ragtag uh, the, the, the couple of guys there. Well, you know, Dan Aykroyd is very, uh, very attuned to the UFOs. In fact, he had a Men in Black experience himself. So uh, I understand that the, the characters, uh, uh, the Blues Brothers, uh, kind of took that uh, persona. I mean, he did he did that uh, deliberately when he did the um, uh, wrote the script. So that's kind of my. There's just some, the, the real men in black. There's just something not right uh, about them. You know, I'm thinking and, of. Uh, uh, I'm, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tim. 
Oh, well, that's what I was just going to say. They, they do not fit into, uh, I come from, uh, you know, uh, the State Department. Uh, they, they seem to be something a little bit weirder, something a little bit more uh, esoteric in, in uh, nature. Now, I've come up with the, the theory that uh, since the UFO beings, UFOnauts, whatever you want to call them, I call them ultra-terrestrials. Instead of ultra-terrestrials, aliens, right, like yeah. Ultra-terrestrials, I don't think they're coming here from, you know, Mars or, or Venus or from outer space. There may be a few. I mean, Stanton Freeman has got a good gauge on this. He's running around uh, looking for, you know, uh, physical evidence of crashed UFOs. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part, we've got to look uh, beyond that. We've got to look to other dimensions. We've got to look to uh, underground uh, the civilizations. We've got to look to underwater ways. No, I certainly agree. As a matter of fact, there is a, a tendency, as I understand it, in the UFO field now to be looking at other areas of the paranormal. And Ben and I really run into that. We, uh, of course, I started out in the 19, early 70s and when I was in the seminary in, in, in ghost research. And, of course, that's why I'm not a priest is because they didn't like me doing that. But in any case... We, when Ben joined me in, uh, in 05, I became, when he became old enough to do so, I became very interested in uh, pursuing uh, cases with, with his point of view as well. And he, I, I tend to be more scholarly, I suppose, in, in my approach. But Ben has a, he's more, he's less cerebral and more, I suppose you might even say shamanic or psychic or whatever. Cerebral? So, to, yes. So, to, <laughs> I'm going to hear that all evening. And so we would, uh, I think, form something of a team. So we began to investigate cases literally for years, and we would, we almost always run into UFO implications toward the end. And I'm thinking of this one case we're always talking about on the air as much as we can, and it's in central Connecticut, and it started with quote unquote ghosts and ended up with greys, government agents, and a possible base. Well, and research. We, even had, we even had one of our, uh, one, a fan of our show write in and say, oh, hey, we had a poltergeist case, and the poltergeist turned into a gray. Like, yeah, and so it really makes you wonder. So what say you on all that? Well, you know, uh, yes, I, I would I definitely agree with you. In fact, many years ago, uh, I'd seen a little uh, article in the, uh, the New York City paper here, uh, you know, like two paragraphs filler, about a... Um, UFO that had landed in a um, small farmer's field. In fact, it turned out it was almost like his backyard. It was uh, it was said in the newspaper to be like a corn cornfield or something. But it was the guy's backyard. I mean, I, I don't think he had an acre of uh, of corn. Uh, and supposedly the object had uh, uh, landed, uh, had some kind of suction cups, you know, or a tripod landing gear, mm. and had made an indention in the in the ground and in the uh, corn. It wasn't a crop circle. It was a uh, a corn impression. Something, I don't know if you've had, um, oh, uh, Ted Phillips on. He's the one that does the Oh, we've had him on several times. He was on only a few weeks ago. Oh, wonderful. He, he's, I, I just had a, a taped interview that I did uh, with him. I do a, a series of uh, DVDs called uh, Unfair, Unbalanced, Unedited, where I just yeah. go around and kind of sling my, uh, you know, the video stand up of uh, doing uh, some good information that way. Uh, Ted, Ted is great. Uh, anyway, um, back to F. Yeah, you're kind of breaking up here, Tim. Okay. How about, is that any better? Actually, yeah, it sounds much better. All right, good. I probably had my hand over the... Um, we've had a, we've had some bad storms here uh, uh, today, to say the least. I'm in the Manhattan oh, right. uh, area. You know? Oh, man, oh, oh yeah. yeah. That means it's going to hit uh, us, yeah. so... Yeah, right. <laughs> Sooner or later. 
of course, you don't know the way we could be in Death Valley, so we're lucky with that. That's true. That's yes. right. That's very true. Uh, anyway, we we went out to Athens, Ohio, and I had some business uh, in uh, near Cincinnati, so this wasn't too far away. It wasn't like I hopped on a plane and went, uh, you know, a thousand miles just to look at a cornfield. But I, I went and I interviewed uh, the fellow whose uh, home this thing landed behind, and apparently he said his uh, grandson had seen this thing uh, come down out of the sky and it landed, you know, glowing ball or something like that. And then the next day they went out in the morning and there was a depression on the ground. Okay, well, it was, uh, you know, a couple of weeks uh, since the incident happened, and by the time I got there, the court had unflattened, unflattery, and it was just, you know, back to the way it was. So there's no real evidence uh, there. Uh, but I decided, well, uh, this is a pretty rural area. Let me stake out the neighborhood and see if there's any collaborating witnesses, if any uh, anybody else had seen anything. Well, you know, I knocked on a few doors, and just about everybody that I talked to, now... They had not seen the object uh, that night come down and land in the cornfield, but they had experiences of their own. We're talking about men in black. We're talking about Bigfoot. Now, Bigfoot, uh, you know, we think of him as this big, uh, hairy, giant, uh, kind of uh, the scratching and shuffling along the, through the um, uh, the uh, woods of the forest, you know. But he's been seen in just about every state, as far as I know. Yeah, including and, Rhode Island uh, here. Oh, indeed, yes. I, in fact, I, I remember years ago interviewing uh, two teenagers who said that they saw Bigfoot uh, stumbling across uh, a golf course in Staten Island. So <laughs> where do these things go? I mean, there's no there's no big uh, area where he could be hanging out with his family or friends. Uh, yeah, he could be playing the back nine. And we have, we've had other cases where people, I remember one incident down in uh, Florida where a uh, night security guard had actually cornered one of these things and backed it up into a truck. Uh, into, you know, an 18-wheeler or something. Okay, they could hear him rumbling around inside and pounding on the doors and so forth. Uh, he called the backup uh, security. He figures, well, uh, you know, here I've got the uh, uh, the, uh, the evidence uh, that, uh, you know, there's really a Bigfoot and he's live and he's inside the uh, the truck. Well, they opened up the truck. All that remained all that remained of the Bigfoot creature was this horrible smell. He had disappeared. So where did he go to? We, yeah. gotta, we, we have to be talking about something paranormal here because he didn't walk through the backside of the, uh, you know, the truck. And well, exactly, in, exactly. In the swamp. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, in this case in Athens, Ohio, I remember one woman uh, said, well, uh, you know, she could hear back, uh, Bigfoot uh, behind her uh, home pounding on the air conditioner. And I said, well, how do you know that it was Bigfoot? She said, well, I'd go out, you know, in the morning after I knew he wasn't there, and there were the, the big uh, you know, footprints in the, uh, the muddy... Uh, the soil underneath the air conditioner with the water, you know. Oh, exactly. Uh, Tim, we have a caller. Okay, if I may. Uh, it's Bob from Cumberland, Rhode Island. Bob, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Uh, good evening, Paul and Ben. Good evening. You have a question for Tim Beckley? I sure do. It's a real treat to ask you this question. I've followed your career for a while. Tim, if anybody oh, knows anything you. about this, uh, it's you. Just a quick question. What is your take on the supposed diary of Admiral Richard Byrd of his flight Beyond the poles, back oh. in the, the, the hmm. and, uh, South Pole. Well, uh, of course, I've written, uh, published quite a few books uh, uh, on the uh, on the subject. Uh, Commander X is one of our uh, uh, authors. He's this retired military intelligence uh, operative. Uh, apparently, uh, Admiral Byrd did have a diary in which he talked about going to this area uh, at the pole 
where there was um, there was no ice, no snow, uh, regular normal temperature. There were apparently uh, beings that were li- uh, living there, uh, you know, like uh, nine foot tall, I think. It sounds pretty incredible. But, you know, somebody actually got back to me and said that they talked to a member of the, uh, the family, mm-hmm. and the family, would, uh, the family would not deny it. Mm-hmm. And to me, the whole idea, of course, the whole idea that there's a civilization inside the, uh, the Earth and that you could enter through the North and the South Pole seems pretty darn incredible. It goes against everything that we've ever been uh, taught in, in school. But then the further you get into investigating all the, uh, the paranormal uh, aspects of our lives, you realize that we haven't been taught anything in school that, always, yeah. you know, that really offers too much in the way of uh, spiritual or psychic development. Yeah, physical evidence uh, shows that it's more likely that the Earth is hollow. You know, uh, explorers have found. Uh, you know, I don't go. I don't. I don't go quite that far. My my concept is that uh, there is a vast uh, cavern or tunnel system that exists around the Earth. Apparently, that was developed by uh, ancients, mm-hmm. whether uh, during the time of Atlantis or before. Uh, really mm-hmm. hard to say at this point. But that these tunnel systems and these. Um, uh, pockets of civilization that have actually been taken over, perhaps by uh, extraterrestrials or perhaps by uh, individuals who uh, once uh, lived on the surface that, for one reason or another, had to go underground. So I don't really have the, uh, the concept that uh, uh, some of these objects may be physical craft from somewhere else here, but I do think that the majority of UFOs can be put in the same category um, uh, as as a, a ghost or, or, or spirit. In fact, I always like to say that the same thing that happens uh, inside a haunted house or during a spiritualist uh, a circle is the same thing that happens at a UFO landing site. Does <clears throat> that answer your question, Bob? Because, because it's multidimensional, probably. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Probably are. All right. Thank uh, you. So thank you, Bob. Well, that, that's one thank thing you, we Bob. always get into, Tim, and, and I started... Uh, arriving at that conclusion, incorrect or correct, in the 1970s, when I just couldn't explain what I was seeing with the classical spiritualist approach. There had to be something multidimensional going on. And that uh, <clears throat> that seems to be the uh, the theory and the methods I, de- I developed from it, and now Ben and I use them, and that's what I've done ever since, and it, it, it makes a lot more sense, and we get a lot more results than thinking it's spirits of dead people and well, all this like other. The, the par- like the paranormal, whatever, it's like a buffet of theories, whatever uh, works best for you, usually. Uh. But of course, what we've experienced is entirely different, entirely different from what other people experience. But of course, someone brought up on our show yesterday that it's what you bring to the uh, phenomena is what you get out of it. That, that is true. You know, in fact, uh, that's why, you know, I, uh, there's a tendency in the UFO field to uh, ridicule and, uh, and, and put down uh, others if they don't have the same uh, theory or explanation or the same concepts as you do. Well, you know, my feeling after all these years is that we're, into the, uh, we're all into this together regardless of whether we want to be or not. Now... I don't know whether it's a mass, uh, you know, mind, uh, the probe, or, or or something, or whether we're being uh, directed. But why would people devote their lives uh, to this, you know, unless there was something really directing them to to do so? And, and I do believe that the intelligence behind all of this doesn't care too much what we believe, as long as we believe. 
Yeah, I think th- there's a point to that. Ben, did you have something else? Uh, I, well, I lost it. <laughs> I, I was... I was going to point out, uh, I'm wondering about ancient history, Tim. Uh, I have heard theories, and I did not hear this in the seminary, because this would not be the party line by any means, but the, uh, for example, the, the three angels in uh, Genesis who approach uh, Abraham, and they, they just before um, Sodom and Gomorrah get cooked and all this stuff, they, you know, as being ancient examples of men in black. I mean, do you, are you aware of um, how far back the man in black phenomenon, regardless of its origin, might go? Well, I, I, I'm not a big biblical uh, scholar. I, I leave that to my uh, writer, uh, Sean Castile, who uh, is an associate of ours and has uh, assisted in, in writing many of our books. You know, we have uh, about 170 or 80 titles that we've uh, published. I've been doing this since I was 14 years old, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, okay, let me, let me, let me, before, okay, before I go into the history of this, let me just say kind of how I, I got uh, kind of got into this. Sure. There's a weird thing with me and synchronicity and coincidences that we could do a whole show on that. In fact, uh, I would like to do that because I think you guys would be a little more into it than your typical uh, talk show host. But back when I was in the third or the fourth grade, I had to write my first book review. Well, I cannot say that I was an avid reader, although my, my mother used to sit here and we would listen to the... Um, uh, shows on the radio, you know, like the Lone Ranger and uh, old time talkies, and then she would she would read to me, and and I enjoyed the reading uh, her reading more than I guess I enjoyed reading myself, and and most books that they give you to read when you're in school, you know, you sit there and you want to square, you know, like crawl into the ground or something because it's just not something you're really interested in reading. But uh, I guess we had a little bit more liberal teacher, and we didn't have a uh, a playlist or a reading list or something like that, so. We could pick a, a, a book of our own to review. Mm-hmm. Well, I picked the book that I knew too much about flying saucers. This book was written by Bray Barker. Oh. Uh, ironically, uh, ironically enough, uh, probably uh, eight or ten years later, Bray Barker published my first three books. <laughs> and uh, when he uh, passed away, I bought the last uh, 50 hardcover copies as they knew too much about flying saucers from his estate. Anyway... That was the kicker. That's how it started. They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers uh, was a book written, the first book written about the men in black. It told the, uh, the story of one Albert K. Bender, a Bridgeport, Connecticut resident who was the head of the International Flying Saucer Bureau with thousands of members all over the planet. Uh, Albert uh, K. Bender was a serious uh, researcher of, of UFOs, and he put out a monthly uh, newsletter called Space Review. And one uh, in one particular issue, probably uh, in its second year of existence, he came up with a number of theories uh, as to the origin of the UFOs. One of them was that there was a base actually at the south, uh, north or south pole. Uh, shortly after, uh, in fact, before the issue was published, he had only uh, talked about what was going to be in the particular issue to a couple of researchers, maybe Greg Barker, August C. Roberts, Dominic Lucchesi, uh, some of the old pioneers in the field, about what he was planning to publish. Several days later, there was a knock at the door. He was the first person in modern time, uh, apparently, to be visited, or at least the, the, the case that's well represented in history, by three men in black. They warned him not to publish his newsletter on the subject. 
They told him he was coming too close uh, to the secret of UFOs and the powers that be uh, wished him to, to, to back off, uh, not to release his findings for the betterment of the world and the betterment of civilization or the safety of the world or civilization. So uh, Albert K. Bender, despite the fact that he had correspondents and members all over the world, shut down the International Flying Saucer Bureau. Hmm. Now, at the same time that he was uh, uh, having these, uh, I guess, pretty frequent uh, visits by the men in black, now at first they appeared on his doorstep, but years later he did reveal that uh, they appeared and disappeared inside of his apartment uh, without having to enter through the uh, you know the front door. Apparently they were able to materialize and dematerialize. Uh, some people claim that the men in black actually get into their dreams, kind of like a Freddy Cougar thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, they get into their dreams and they also are able to control uh, their mental, you know, uh, faculties. Uh, in, in fact, we've published a lot of books on this type of thing, and what I always tell people is, of course, they can sign up for a free subscription to the Conspiracy Journal at conspiracyjournal.com, or they can just go to Amazon and type in my name, Timothy Beckley, B-E-C-K-L-E-Y, and, and hundreds of uh, books on all these subjects will appear. And they can either order them from Amazon or they can get in touch with me because we give free DVDs away with our <laughs> uh, orders. Yeah, we're going to oh, give you a chance to talk about uh, and promote your material, but we do have to take a break yeah. right now. And All right. Okay, and you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and ben, ben Eno on WON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our fascinating guest, the great Timothy Green Beckley. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Greg Bell, the host of When Radio Was. I'm Mortimer. Bill. Is that you under that blindfold? Bill. With this thing on, I can't see who I am. No, I imagine not. Can't you see anything at all under that blindfold? On a clear day, I can see the blindfold. You can. Yeah. When Radio Was, shows from the past for today's imaginations. When Radio Was airs Monday through Friday right here on ON 1240 Radio at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul. Actually, I'm Ben. And this guy <laughs> over Paul. here is Paul. In a parallel universe, my I am Paul. We're all Paul. We all scream for Paul. With our wonderful guest, uh, Tim Beckley, talking of Men in Black. Okay, before we get back to Tim, though, I wanted to just tell you about the two charities Ben and I have, well, three, really, Ben and I have adopted, just very quickly. Uh, USA Cares, they provide financial assistance to veterans and their families uh, who've been wounded in post-9-11 active duty. And uh, it's a great organization. Check it out, usacares.org. Also, locally here, Builders Helping Heroes, they're building a wonderful home uh, together with the Homes for Our Troops, uh, for Taunton Mass-based organization, out in Burlville, Rhode Island, here right in our local listening area. And you can check them out, buildershelpingheroes.org. It's a uh, charity of the Rhode Island Builders Association, so please check that out. And also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy. Uh, Bill Blaze founded this excellent organization which advocates for our Canadian veterans and uh, just doing a wonderful job uh, up there. And as you know, Canada has stood by us uh, from day one in the war on terror, and it's a great organization, too. So let's get back to our subject. Ben, do you want to start off, or I have a couple oh, of questions? Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually... Uh Referring to um, what we were just talking about here, where uh, you mentioned, uh, Mr. Beckley, that uh, there was one instance where Men in Black materialized in somebody's home or they came in without uh, his knowledge. 
Now, I remember hearing stories that they wouldn't come in unless invited, or am I just completely well, making this up? Well, I, I think I think you get that in the legend of Dracula. Yeah, this is what I was thinking. No, no, I actually, I, I, I have heard, I, I've heard the same thing uh, too, but I, I don't think that's the case. I never run into anyone who said, "Well, I invited them in." I've heard a couple of people say I slammed the door in their face, but I don't think so. Hey, uh, anyway, to get back to your question, you wanted to know what were the uh, earliest uh, cases of uh, uh, of the men in black. I found one uh, from 1864 hmm. from a small community in Texas. Uh, it told about a, uh, uh, a UFO or a, a ship, uh, a vehicle of some sort, that came over the town and dropped debris. And I like the town was a garbage dump or something like that, right? <laughs> now, this is, in fact, we'll get into another case, the Maury Island incident. Uh, this uh. seems to happen quite uh, frequently. I mean, it's like they, they jettison the, their junk. Uh, we had a case on, it was just on the TV here the other night, uh, where something uh, fell through uh, the roof of somebody's uh, home, and uh, they thought, well, it was from a, an overhead uh, plane, but apparently that's not the case either. Nobody knows quite what it is. It, doesn't look like any kind of alien uh, artifact, but, uh, you know, things are falling from the sky all the time. Good old uh, Charles Fort there spent uh, uh, most of his life in the library sure. uh, digging into old scientific journals and stuff, uh, looking for falls from the sky. Anyway, back to uh, 1864, uh, this uh, object had uh, apparently dumped some debris, and uh, a shopkeeper had gotten a hold of uh, one of the artifacts, and, you know, it never explained in the article what the artifact was or even what it looked like. Anyway, he put it in the store window. Well, someone come a-knocking a couple of days later. Kind of a curious-looking uh, uh, guy. Uh, kind of tall, dressed in black, kind of dusty, just like he got off the, uh, you know, down from the mountains or the desert or something like that. And uh, it was inquiring about the object in the window. Uh, could he buy it? And the, the owner of the shop said, sorry, it's not for sale. So the individual left the shop, never to be seen again. But the next morning when the proprietor came back, uh, the object was missing from the window, but it didn't look like anyone had broken into the shop. So something right there out of the uh, twilight uh, zone. Yeah, very uh, interesting. Back during, the, back during the 1897 UFO flap, uh, San Francisco, I think even in, in Maine, uh, there were some incidences where, well, I don't know if they were necessarily men in black, but they were, were individuals who kind of gave out preposterous stories. They said that they were from Cuba, or they said that they, you know, they, they spoke in a, a French uh, accent or, or something like that, just to kind of cover their tracks. It seemed like they didn't really want to be discovered as they went about, the, you know, fixing their craft or goodness knows really what they're up to, you know. And so they gave out kind of dumb and stupid uh, the stories. Hmm. Uh, 1903 in the UK, there was a uh, UFO flap uh, that most people are not even aware of. In fact, in uh, our, our version of Disclosure, that's the title of the book, you'll, you'll find a photograph that was taken of a, a cigar-shaped object during that the flap. I don't think it's ever been published certainly not in this uh, country before, but there were men in black there who were going around telling people not, uh, you know, that they were dirigibles or, uh, you know, uh, balloons or, or what have you, and not, mm -hmm. to, not to worry, and, uh, no mass panic and, and so forth. 
then the first case that has gotten uh, actual publicity and promotion over the years uh, took place on uh, June 22nd, 1947. Now, this was two days before the Kenneth Arnold sighting uh, that kicked off the flying saucer uh, phenomena, as, as we've come to know it today. There was a sighting of Kenneth, Ar uh, Kenneth Arnold of nine uh, objects over uh, Mount Rainier in Washington State. Boy Island, an island off the coast of Tacoma, Washington. Uh, several uh, gentlemen are out fishing on their boat when this donut-shaped, uh, as I understand it, object comes overhead and starts spewing some sort of molten slag from the bottom of the craft. Uh, it uh, kills their dog and damages their uh, boat. They had several samples of the slag that they kept. I guess they fished out of the water. Maybe it actually even um, uh, hit part of the boat, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had a whole series of, of UFO, uh, uh, of UFO uh, poltergeist, uh, the phenomena. And they were in a That's room right, with yeah. uh, Kenneth Arnold actually later on telling this story. And apparently uh, someone was listening into the conversation. In those days, uh, bugging a room was not kind of like it is uh, today where you got to, you know, you can find a bug in three different corners by three different agencies. <laughs> uh, that, so that, that, that was the first. Uh, there, there were men, actual men in black that showed up. Um, Ken Thomas, I don't know if you've had him on the show, but he's a big concern. No, we know who he is. I haven't uh, yeah, had him on. Oh, yeah, he, he, he could tell you he could spend the whole hour on uh, on um, Maury Island. Uh, then also, too, the, uh, uh, what's his name? Kenneth uh, 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 K. Bender. Now, at the same time that he was having his run-in with these, uh, uh, the trio, the men in black, uh, his uh, co-workers in Australia and New, uh, New Zealand were also being harassed. Uh, one of the, uh, the, uh, the head of the local International Flying Saucer Bureau uh, organization there, his branch in Australia, uh, the gentleman was up. Tim? Okay, Tim, are you with us? Oh, dropped off. Men in black got him. Uh, of course. Okay. Well, why don't try to get him back, Ben? I'll, I'll uh, continue yakking here. All right. All right. You yak. Well, we've been listening to Timothy Green Beckley, a legendary a UFO expert who has also been involved in other areas of the paranormal and sort of agrees with us that we've got uh, something going on here that goes way beyond uh, little green men or people from uh, other planets or this sort of thing, uh, or from the other end, way beyond ghosts and poltergeists and this sort of thing. And uh, he seems to be have had similar experiences, uh, not experiences, or, or at least uh, studies that have paralleled our own, that find when you look at many ghost phenomena or even uh, Bigfoot or any of these other, other things, you will uh, somehow get tied in eventually, if you look long enough, with UFO phenomena. In our opinion, what's going on here is that it's our good old multiverse theory that uh, we don't have, you know, a material world and a spirit world. We have many different uh, universes parallel to our own, such as are uh, theorized in quantum mechanics. And it's becoming less theory and becoming more of a fact because people are out building quantum computers and they're uh, using various multiversal principles in scientific work. And this is uh, something that is becoming um, quite accepted among physicists now. I believe that it's up in the 90 percentile uh, where physicists uh, accept this multiple worlds, parallel worlds uh, idea. Now the question is, what does it 
it mean? Uh, many don't interpret it the way we do, uh, that you can wake up at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, as we were talking about last night uh, in preparation for our documentary we're doing uh, for the new Warner Brothers film, The Conjuring, uh, that you can wake up at that hour and, and somehow see somebody walking through your room, and it's, uh, aha, it's got to be the spirit of some dead person. Well, in fact, what we think we're dealing with is uh, the an actual person passing through in a parallel world, perhaps sharing the same space as yourself, and maybe doesn't even know you're there. So I think, uh, do we have our guest back? I am here. I am here. So the men in black have tried to silence me once more, but they again. <laughs> That's what we thought. That's what we thought. Whenever we talk about this, Tim, all kinds of weird, and I'm sure it happens to you. I was just telling that to Carol, my, my assistant here. I said, every time it seems like I do a show, and it, it, it's about the uh, the Mibs that I get cut off the air. Now it, it's it's got to be beyond coincidence. Although I have to say, we got some uh, pretty lousy uh, weather here. The internet hasn't been working. My landline's not working. Yeah, uh, I won't even step outside the door. But to get back to the uh, the researcher there in Australia, he was uh, standing at the top of an escalator uh, in a department store. And uh, all of a sudden, some invisible hand or something pushed him down the escalator. Well, he had a series. His girlfriend was even being harassed by some smelly little uh, creature from God knows where. <laughs> and finally, he also he also decided to, to throw in the uh, the towel. In fact, our book, um, First of the Men in Black, has the whole story. Uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, story. Uh, I've actually heard the gentleman tell, he's long since deceased now, but there was a tape recording, uh, or in those days it was a cassette, that was going around of him describing the details of his uh, experience, and we had a heck of a time uh, translating it, very heavy uh, accent. But, mm-hmm. uh, uh, anyway, it's a very, it was a very heavy period, those early 1950s, uh, for the, uh, for the men in black. But you know, I had my own, uh, men in black uh, experience. Uh, I was going to ask I, you that, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, and in fact, I have been on the UFO Hunters, and uh, uh, I got an episode of Bill Shatner's Weirder What coming out on the Sci-Fi Channel, I think in a week or two. Uh, it's uh, episode two of the third uh, season. Uh, anyway, back in 1965, there was a, a, a huge UFO flap up and down the East Coast. The big years for flying sources, of course, were 1947, 1952, when they buzzed the uh, White House. 1957, when they were landing in the southwest and, and conking out um, automobile engines and leaving impressions on the ground and so forth. And then in 1965, 66, 67, there was an immense public interest and an outcry on the uh, on the subject. I think it all started like in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where the college students looked out their window and they saw these objects. And then Dr. Hynek, who was working for the Air Force at the time, came forward and said, oh, it was just swamp gas, <laughs> but, <laughs> but apparently it, it, it wasn't. Anyway, during that period uh, of time, 1965, uh, there were a number of sightings in uh, New Jersey, uh, and they involved not just the landing of UFO craft, but uh, of uh, creatures. Uh, I don't know if, uh, exactly if I remember the exact description of the creatures, but uh, probably uh, in a lot of those cases they were these little, what we call little men, you know, about the three or four feet tall, they come out of the craft. Mm-hmm. They scoop up uh, some sand or some soil. They shoot a, a paralyzing ray at the witness who can't move for, you know, 20 minutes till after the craft is gone. 
uh, and uh, then there may be some slight evidence of uh, actually uh, having uh, been to the scene of the landing, some indentions in the ground. There's uh, the scoop marks of where they took the the soil and the sand and the plant life or so forth and so on. Uh, so there were some uh, sightings uh, around uh, Elizabeth, and um, I was at that time working for a uh, Jim Mosley, who just recently passed on here. He was one of the pioneers of UFO research, and he had a magazine uh, called the Saucer News, and I was managing editor. Well, oh, I have some copies one of, of his, that. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. In, in fact, um, let me see. Jack Robinson was uh, one of his associates, and Jack lived over in Jersey City. Now, you get to Jersey City from Manhattan by the path train uh, in about uh, 15 or 20 minutes. So Jack's wife, Mary Robinson, uh would call us on a, on a periodic basis to say that uh, Jack worked, his real job was working in a bank in, in Manhattan. When Jack uh, would leave to work to take the path trade over to the city, uh, Mary would go out and do her grocery shopping and uh, errands and visit her, her neighbor. She was big on you know, people visiting. In those days, people visited their, their neighbors. They didn't just text message. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, oh, my God, I've never seen my neighbor, but I've heard from them 15 times today. That's right. So, um, okay, so Mary would claim that on the way to do her errands or on the way back home, there was a strange gentleman standing in the doorway of the building next door. And it looked like he was monitoring the activities of people coming in and out of her building. Now, I've been to Jack's house many times. They're, they both passed away many, many years ago. I can't remember the layout uh, that uh, much, to be honest with you. This was, you know, several, excuse me, three decades or, or more ago. Yeah, I hear you. It seemed to me they, they lived in a small uh, walk-up, maybe five or six uh, apartments. They lived on eh, the first uh, floor, I believe it was. Uh, anyway, so Mary would call uh, our office. Now, we didn't get there very early. Jim never got up before noon. I think I, I had to be there by about 11.30 to start answering the phone. We actually got people called up and ordered magazines, you know, before the Internet, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't know whether Mary was just kind of, you know, feeding us a line to keep us uh, interested or keep her husband on the masthead or, or, or whatever. So we decided one day that we're going to pay the Robinsons a visit without letting them know that we're coming. Got to do a little uh, clandestine operation here uh, behind the uh, the scenes. So we uh, get in the Jim's car. Jim is driving, and I'm in the passenger seat up front. And uh, we go over to Jersey City. Uh, traffic is pretty light going out of the city at that time of the morning. I guess we get there maybe about 8.30, quarter to 9. Uh, people are double parked on the street, of course. And um, we see, uh, actually, a, a black Cadillac, a Cadillac, a black car, parked there. And sure enough, here's a gentleman uh, standing in the uh, in a doorway. Uh, the photograph has been published. You can find it on the Internet. Uh, if you go to YouTube, you can find that episode of UFO Hunters. Just type in the silencers. And uh, my uh, the story there starts about eight minutes uh, into the uh, that particular episode. And the photograph is shown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we see this uh, fellow uh, in the doorway. Jim hands me his camera. I stick my head out the window. Uh, I take a shot of the uh, individual. I, I take a shot of the car. Okay, there was a few cars behind us, and like I say, people would double park. So we decided we're going to go around uh, the uh, the corner 
and perhaps try to park, or Jim will let me jump out at some point, and I'll go and ask this individual what he's doing there, staring down the Robinson's apartment building. Now, l- let me point out that during this uh, period of time, uh, not only was this uh, individual standing there, but uh, Jack claims that he uh, his telephone was being tapped, somebody was listening in on his conversations, especially when he was talking about this case that he investigated of the teenagers who had seen these creatures come down in the park up the uh, soil, just like I had described, right? Uh, his telephone was being tapped, and uh, some of his uh, files that looked like he was being, it was being rifled through. Somebody mm-hmm. had gone through him, you know, stuff was, he'd come home, didn't look like any, nobody had broken in, nobody else had the key, uh, but stuff would be, uh, you know, laying on the floor as if somebody was trying to disassemble his uh, file, his filing efforts. Uh, anyway, so uh, we come back around the corner, and the car is gone, and the gentleman standing in the doorway has gone. And strangely enough, we seem to have frightened off the men in black because he was never seen, nor the, were the Robinsons bothered after that. Hmm. So maybe there is something to this idea that, you know, if you don't want them there, then, uh, you know, they were will dissolve into to thin air. Now, people ask me, well, what are, who are these men in black? Well, I've come up with a theory. My theory is, is that uh, these uh, these individuals, these weird-looking individuals that have been uh, seen around UFO landing sites and silencing witnesses and all, I believe that these are earthlings that have been taken over uh, like uh, through mind control uh, and that they are actually doing the bidding of, of some other intelligence that cannot take on physical form. That's and, an interesting uh, theory. And, and then at some point, it's, it's like a hypnotic trance, they come out of it, and they have no recollection of actually uh, being used as, as a pawn of the dark side of ufology. Huh. Well, uh, before we finish burning up the hour, which we're doing very quickly, I wanted to give you a chance, uh, Tim, to talk about your books, website, anything else you'd like to promote, and where people can find out more about you. Oh, my goodness. Well, my personal email, and I, I don't mind hearing from people, uh, especially if they have uh, experiences they want to share. Uh, in fact, I, I met a gal uh, recently, a lady who lives in upstate New York. I call her the MIB uh, lady. Her <laughs> name is uh, Claudia Cunningham. And she happens to be like the local expert on the MIBs uh, in, uh, up around Albany. In fact, there's a cemetery there that uh, seems to be literally haunted. It's the uh, Albany Rural uh, uh, Cemetery. And uh, black cars have been seen to, to go down gravel paths, but they make no sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go down paths that are actually have chains going across them, and of course, when other people try to follow, they can't get down the uh, they can't get down there in a particular uh, you know uh, lane in, in the the cemetery. There's a lot more to it. There's also dogs with glowing eyes, and a uh, a couple that fly over the tombstones at night in their pajamas. <laughs> it, 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 it's quite it, it's quite the place for a good uh, uh, paranormal uh, investigation. In fact, maybe we ought to do a remote from there someday. I think that would be a uh, an exciting uh, possibility. That would be fun. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, my uh, email address is uh, Mr. UFO Eight M R UFO Eight at hotmail dot com. Uh, the website where you can sign up for free, and we send out ma- uh, glossy magazines through the mail, and we don't charge, but we do like you to buy some of our products and all that. We keep going that way. We call it controlled circulation. Would be conspiracyjournal dot com. I've written so many books and published so many things. Um, we just did a, 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 a book that's been a popular seller for over a hundred years 
called The Dweller on Two Planets by Philos. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. But no. Shirley MacLaine Shirley says it's the book that uh, turned her onto the uh, New Age. She was in a bookstore in Hong Kong, and it fell into her hands as she went down the aisle. <laughs> now, the, the, the book, I, I was selling it back when I was 14 or 15 years old, but the, the book is kind of difficult to, to read. It's a channeled the messages from Atlantis and from an ancient Tibetan, and then he reincarnates into a uh, somebody in the in the old west. It's about five hundred pages. It'll take you a while to, to read it. You get your money's worth. Anyway, our version of it is called the um, uh, Secrets of Mount Shasta and a Dweller on Two Planets. About five hundred pages long, and it has been put up on Amazon. But if you email me, we'll send you the catalogs and all that the literature. Uh, the books on. Uh, the Men in Black would be the UFO Silencers, Mysteries of the Men in Black. That one has been out for quite a number of years. And the more uh, recent one is called The Curse of the Men in Black, Return of the UFO Terrorist. Very interesting. Uh, check it out, folks. Uh, not something you hear every day. I was curious, uh, Tim, to ask you, of course, these people do, if they are people, do threaten UFO witnesses or sometimes other other witnesses um, with things that aren't necessarily good. Are you aware of any cases in which uh, threats have been carried out? <clears throat> when people well, have not maybe, backed off? So, maybe so, well, maybe some of these people that have disappeared. We've got a long uh, list of, um, of people who have vanished yeah, that's uh, true. without a trace. Uh, some of them uh, were involved in, in uh, UFOs. Uh, some of them have had mysterious suicides. I'm thinking of fan of uh, Phil Snyder, who mm-hmm. claims that he was a, a guard at the Dulce underground uh, UFO uh, base. Um, we know of uh, a couple of cases. Well, now, there was one case going back uh, to the 1960s, a big slap again in New Jersey at the Wanakee Reservoir. Uh, security guards were seeing these objects on a regular basis uh, coming over the reservoir. Some of them were actually shooting down beams of light uh, onto the frozen ice. We uh, did an article back for Fate magazine back in, I guess it would have been about 1966 or so on the uh, on the subject. I know uh, Phyllis Goldie, the publisher, I'm sure she still has copies in stock. But I, I think I got one from her recently. <coughs> But they had a town hall meeting. I mean, there was a big uproar because everybody in town was seeing them. You know, when these things catch on, they catch on. You know, and you can tell people that you're blue in the face to, that it's the planet Venus. It's, you know, it's, it's Saturn, uh, you know, 200 million miles close to the Earth. Uh, you know, whatever. People know what they saw. Uh, you know, I mean, people are not that stupid. Sometimes you can be fooled. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I've seen things in the sky, and I go, oh, this is unusual. And then it dawned on me, well, maybe it wasn't as, as unusual as, uh, as I thought it was. But at this one particular town hall, somebody posted recently uh, on, a, on, a, on a UFO blog that they actually uh, were told not to speak about this. And, and one of the, these uh, myths, this would be more of the um, FBI type, you know, earthly-looking guys kind of mm-hmm. flipped their jacket aside and they could see that they had a firearm there. Yeah. So it was it was kind of a subtle kind of a subtle threat. But no, m- most most of these threats are are what I would call psychic uh manipulation. They're going to make you go mad. Yeah. Well, before before we uh run out of time here, I wanted to ask you about a local incident and you and I discussed this by email, uh the Raymore Bolock incident that Joe Ferry reported in his magazine in the late 60s and uh the 
person who reported these encounters with this person, Raymore Bolock, uh, still is alive, to the best of my knowledge, uh, and living in this area, so I won't give his name. Uh, are you, Harold, is it? I beg your pardon? Is it Harold? Uh, no, I don't, I know who you mean. No, that was not, that was not Harold, no, no. Uh, the best, no. Uh, so what was happening oh, oh, here was know, the, I, I have, I, you know, uh, people may not realize, but, uh, a friend of mine, Harold Sulkin, not the Harold I was just referring to, okay. is, uh, deceased as well, uh, put together a, um, uh, a magazine special with Joe back in the 60s that included some absolutely incredible UFO photographs. These were, these were as good as anything Billy Meyer has taken. Except I don't believe Billy Myers' photos. I believe that uh, uh, Joe's uh, pictures were uh, the real McCoy. And I do know that Joe had an experience with the uh, a couple. They, they got in the car, and there were some mysterious black boxes. Because I've yep. heard your show on the, uh, on the, on it three times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's all well, exactly. Yeah, that's I, it. I, well, I'm afraid we are just about out of time. We're going to be in touch with you, and we're going to schedule some more shows if you're willing, because it's it's been really fascinating. Boy, you, got, you got, you know, you got, you guys are incredible. I mean, you're you're the real, you're the real McCoy, the meat and the potatoes here. Well, thank you. Uh, we we appreciate that. Yeah, as Mark Twain said, <laughs> I can live six months on one good compliment. So, <laughs> Tim, okay. Tim, we want to thank you, and hope you get through the weather down there. It's been a, a great show, and uh, uh, we'll be in touch. You betcha. Have a good evening, guys. Bye Thank bye. you. Okay, everybody. Timothy Green Beckley, conspiracyjournal.com. Check it out. Very, very interesting stuff. Okay. I wanted to, uh, of course, mention once again that uh, Ben is back. We're very happy with that. And you should be with us, I'm hopefully, here. till uh, the next semester begins. Oh, no, I planned it so I'll be here even through that semester. Oh, okay. We have yep, to fill so. me in on that. I'm only your father. What the heck do I know? Anyway. Or maybe you just don't remember because you focus all your brain power on other things. That's true. Yes, I have a lot of things to focus on. Indeed. And we suggest you stay, if you dare, uh, if you really uh, can uh, handle it, stay tuned for the city council meeting at 7 o'clock uh, right here on WON 1240 AM. So, many thanks to our producer, the great uh, Ben Eno, tonight. And uh, next week, July 8th, we will welcome back not only... Um, well, Ben, of course, uh, but our good friend Susan Shepard uh, for a discussion of auras, something we've never talked about on the show before. And so get your questions in now to Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com, Ben at BehindTheParanormal.com, or use the handy question form at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And on our regular CBS radio edition on uh, Sunday, July 7th in Pittsburgh, Boston, Detroit, slash Windsor, and uh, Seattle, and Vancouver. And on Radio.com, we will be uh, back with the great Nick Redfern for a discussion on Strange Creatures, the classified documents. Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear that. Uh, obviously, we, we never would reveal anything classified on the air. However, this is the title of a book that he's written, so we'll let him do it. Anyway, uh, okay, so in any case, uh, yeah, Nick Redfern, as you know, is a, well, he's a, a was born in the, the UK, uh, lives here in the United States. And he still and, has a uh, very thick accent. He does, but uh, that's no problem for most people. No, no and no. he uh, has written Makes a number him sound of books. More intelligent. Yes, uh, people often think that anyone with an English accent sounds sounds more intelligent. But in any case, Nick is a well-known uh, monster hunter sort of fellow, uh, with his feet on the ground. He's a very uh, scientifically oriented fellow, and uh, ties this into uh, all sorts of interesting uh, phenomena that that might accompany the cryptid situation. So in any case, we leave you this evening with a thought from none other than Dr. Seuss. Sometimes to question, sometimes questions are complicated and the answers are simple. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time.
Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.